Richards Bowie Versus Tillian Is this year when I'm glowy Am I killing? I hope it's not a blowy Or a villain It's time for Bowie versus Dylan. Welcome back to Bowie versus Dylan, the greatest podcast in the history of the world. <laughs> Dedicated to the question of, of all time, really the question that, that matters most in life. I would say. Would you would you agree with me, Jake? I agree completely that, with that whatever you're is, about to say. Who is better, David Bowie or Bob Dylan? Mm. I'm Charlie, and I like David Bowie. And I'm Jake, and I love Dylan. Today we're taking an up-close and personal look at that year of all years, 2004. Mm. 2004 is going to be an interesting year because neither one of our gentlemen happened to uh, actually release an album in 2004. But... They were both alive and therefore did things worth talking about. Would you agree with that, Jake? I would. In fact, a surprising <laughs> amount of things that Dylan did that I didn't know that he did in that year. So That's kind of the fun of the show so far. Is I'm like totally learning all is. kinds of stuff. Yeah. Like digging into a year here, you know, and just too, experiencing I'm it. Learning like it wash over me. I'm learning too much stuff, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah, by the end, my brain's going to be just... <laughs> It's going to be like 75% Bowie and everything else that I know will be crammed over to that last quarter. Absolutely. Which I, I'm okay with that. This yeah. is the road I've chosen to take. Mothball the rest of that stuff. It's all Bowie. Yeah, Here well, we're good. We're good. <laughs> all right, Jake, let you kick it off with uh, a few interesting facts about um, your man Dylan. All righty. So who, just... who stinks, by the way, and isn't as good as Bob Dylan? Or, oh, I just screwed it up. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Boy, that's such a sick self-burn. Just talk already. Gosh. I hate you. <laughs> Look in the mirror, Chaz. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I am. I'm okay. stunned by my good looks. Uh, you are a beautiful man. <laughs> uh, here's somebody that wasn't as beautiful as he used to be in 2004. <laughs> Bob Dylan. <laughs> He's I'm like sitting totally here. mummifying. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, he's just like, each year, he doesn't change his look very much. No, he doesn't. But just each year, it's like just a little more wrinkled, a little more gray, a little more like Rasp- shriveled up. A little more raspy. A little more raspy. Like I'm looking at, I'm looking at something. Maybe slowly, maybe like a 50 year implosion that we're watching. Well, I'm just not sure. He's still touring, so he's out there, baby. No, I mean like a physical implosion. Like his body is sh- shriveling up the door raisin. That's a disturbing thought. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the show's all about. Just, it's, just, just go. It's just like go. a reverse, reverse Benjamin Button. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. Wait, that's just That's normal aging. That's just normal. Like, that's, just, like, that's just old age. Well, I'm looking. I'm looking at good old Bob just staring at me so sweetly <laughs> and so innocently from his Bootleg Series Volume Six, which he released in 2004. Um, it's a concert. It was from, up to number six already by then. Wow. Yeah. Live. I didn't realize it was that far already. Well, in 91, he released Volumes 1 through 3 at the same time. And then, oh, and then okay. he kind of played catch-up after that. The next one was 1998. Okay. Anywho, okay. Anyway. we're talking 2004. It was the uh, it. the 40th anniversary of one of his most famous concerts. And he just looks so youthful. I mean, his hair is, you know, not as crazy as it used to be <laughs> or would be. Uh, he just, you know, beautiful blue eyes. He, You know, he's a pretty attractive guy, i got to say. In 1964... 
gonna say, uh, are we talking about the same Bob Dylan right now? Now he looks like an even older, crustier Vincent Price, I want to say. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to be able to get that image out of my mind. <laughs> That's what he looks like. And I don't want, and I don't want to. Uh, speaking of looking like a creepy Vincent Price, in 2004, Bob Dylan appeared in his one and only commercial to that point. It was a Victoria's Secret ad. <laughs> that it was called that is something. the ad itself was called Angels in Venice. He played the song Love Sick off of his nineteen ninety seven masterpiece. Uh he just tried to taint it as Which much as we possible. just talked about. We did. Two shows ago. We did, and that's the only commercial he would ever be in until twenty fifteen when he appeared in I believe a Chrysler ad. And after that he talked to like an IBM computer in twenty seventeen or something for a <laughs> weird commercial. But it's like, so this commercial, the, the Victoria's Secret, um, had like a bunch of supermodels strutting around in underwear in Venice, yeah. I guess. Yeah, as they do. As they do in Venice. They were wearing angel's wings. That's why it's called oh, angel's yep. in yep. Venice. And you're just listening to Lovesick by Bob Dylan while these, you know, uh, people strut around, strutting their, strutting what God gave them, you know? Was, now, was, was Dylan was strutting on their underwear as well? He was not, thankfully. Okay. I don't yeah. think that would have sold very just much curious. underwear. Just curious about that, yeah. Uh, he appears for about one second at the end, or two seconds, and he's just looking like Vincent Price staring at the camera. <laughs> That's it. That's the ad. I'm glad he didn't have him, like, leering at the models or something. I, you know, in my mind, because, of course, you know, um, it caused an outrage among society and Dylan fans at large. It's like, what is he doing? He's in a Victoria's Secret <laughs> Now, the most interesting part that I thought about this, and this was pointed out many, many times on the, you know, on the interwebs that I was looking at, is that he did an interview in Europe in 1965 um, when he was on his uh, tour there, for the, which became the Don't Look Back documentary. Okay. So this yeah, was, just, this was just before the tour, right before he got super salty and upset with everyone and like okay. gave these weird, you know, answers and was like openly combative with the press. He was still kind uh-huh. of cute and still kind of like had a good relationship with the press and was funny uh-huh. and stuff. And uh, one of the, I watched the video, one of the reporters was like, hey man, so if you ever did sell out for any commercial interest, what would it be? And all the... All the all the other reporters like laughed. This and Dylan, is the hard hitting questions we Yeah, from, exactly. From music interviewers. And so and so Dylan is sitting there and he goes, "The only thing I'd sell out for is ladies' garments." <laughs> and this is in 1965. And then Hugh. And 39 years later. 50 years later. Are. 50 year what? No, no, no. 40. 40 years later. Yeah, here we are. 39, whatever. Did you say 39? Thanks. I did say 39. God darn it, Charlie. Jeez. You're so good at no, math, don't and I'm mess not. With my math. <laughs> well, now you're you're not so sure of yourself after you s- screwed it up before with your Bob Dylan well, thing. Oh, yeah, that's that. Yeah. So. I just started thinking I was actually listening to you when you when you said whatever year you were talking about. Was my was my guess on that? There, but yeah, go on. Okay. So, I mean, I think that's interesting. The very first commercial he ever appears in. Now, this is the kind of thing that drives everyone crazy. Like, did he mean that? Did he mean to do that? Probably not. But you can't rule it out. And he's not saying anything. He's so weird. So he reminded him about on, on tour, you know, like yeah. two months beforehand. And then he was he reached out to them and he's probably like, was like, hey, uh, can I do a commercial? I just want to mess with everybody. I know a couple of Victoria's Secret models. <laughs> Let me give him a call. 
That's a terrible Bob Dylan impression. Man. It's really bad, but... Man, oh, man. Okay, um, so I entered this year in my studies really thinking, like, oh, this will be chill, you know? I'll, I know he was on tour because he was on... He's been on a never-ending tour since 1988. I know he released the bootleg series, so I really plan to dive into that and and read all about it and just you know enjoy it. Like I can't um, I I can't talk too much about it because it actually happened in 1964. But I'm giving points for it, so I had to really you know. So I just thought it would be that and the never-ending tour, and uh, I discovered many things. I discovered the Victoria's Secret commercial. I discovered that. On his never-ending tour in 2004, I went to a show. <laughs> Whoa! Yes, and I forgot. I forgot about it because it was at Bonnaroo, the music festival, in which like a thousand you people. Went to Bonnaroo. Played. I did. It's summer that I got married. Before I got married. I don't know if that makes me like you more or less. Well, it was 2004. It was right in my wheelhouse at that time. I went and saw uh, Taj Mahal. I saw Beth Orton. I saw Doc Watson. I saw Wilco in. Okay. Jeff Tweedy's first, very first performance after he got out of rehab. Now, did you see yeah. them from the fourth row? Because one time I saw Wilco from the fourth row. I'd like to remind you about that. It's been a little while since I reminded you about that. I'd like to remind you that this is not a Wilco podcast. On. I don't care anyway. I did watch uh, Jeff Tweedy sweat off of me, but I, I did get splattered a little bit. I think he spits a lot, doesn't he? No, uh, I didn't get spit on. Oh. Get a little bit, get a little bit of sweat. Man, you ain't lived till you've been spit on by Jeff Tweedy. <laughs> I guess I've never lived then. Oh man, you have not even been born yet, sir. <laughs> Anywho, I uh, I went online thinking, oh, I'll just listen to a few songs of this and reminisce about this crazy. It was a crazy trip. Um, it's something you could only do in your early twenties. Um, you know, when you didn't have kids and stuff like that, it was. Like an intense, you know, weekend uh-huh. of driving and listening to music. And I uh, I listened to the entire concert. I don't remember one thing about it. I don't okay. remember one song that he played. It all sounded like it was, you know, it could have been any show from anywhere. I double-checked. It was definitely the show that I saw. I don't remember anything. In fact, I think I'm misremembering what time it was. I have a memory of watching him during the day. I think he was at night. You would think so. He was pretty big. Yeah, but Bonnaroo, I mean, there's like literally 500 bands there or something. Yeah. Like 200,000 people show up. I think the the major headliner... You still expect him to be at least like the early evening, you know? So I think it was, yeah. But I, you know, my memories of that are all screwed up. Okay. Um, Okay, so I did that. Um, And then, let's see, wasn't there one more thing before I have to get into his autobiography... Nope, that's it. So a good handful of things, and then the coup de gras is I realized that he his wrote, interview. Well, his interview. Oh yeah, okay. He did a CBS interview on sixty Minutes with the venerable Ed Bradley, who just could not have been more of a dork on this thing. Um, he interviewed Bob Dylan on November nineteenth. I believe that's your birthday. Oh, that's my birthday. So while you were turning uh, twenty-one, oh, twenty-two, twenty-two. No. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I'm not doing my math twice in one show, Jay. <laughs> my math. I know what year sucks I was born. Today. I know how old I turned in 2004. Okay, so you turned 22. So you were doing 22 shots of absinthe or something, because that's that's what you do. <laughs> I had my 20th birthday at Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> I seriously did. That's horrendous. I invited everybody I knew. I was everybody in my contact list. Literally, I just went for it. Wow. And like a hundred people came. It was the best birthday party I ever had. 
I'm not joking. Go on. Please continue. You should have been home watching Bob Dylan get interviewed by Ed Bradley. I should have. It was way more amazing than that junk you pulled at Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It was a ridiculous so, night. Dylan just would not answer a question. You know, it was all the roundabout things. He says he never felt like the voice of a generation. He doesn't know where his songs came from. He doesn't know this or that. But he did. he did imply very strongly... And, you know, again, he could have been completely joking, but Ed, Ed Bradley was on the edge of his seat, I'll tell you that. He, <laughs> he strongly implies that he bargained his soul to either the devil or God, we're not sure which, um, for the ability to be as, as good a musician as he is. And he had, one of his, he had his little Vincent Price smile, like, eee, you know, on his face. He also referred to, and this is why we don't know what he's talking about, he said he bargained his soul to, quote, the chief commander, end quote. <laughs> and so oh. Ed Bradley's like, well, you know, not like the president or anything, right? And Bob's like, oh, no. Not, you know, not, <laughs> watch not anybody on this planet ridiculous. or something. It was like, whoa. Um, so that happened. Thank you for remembering that, Chaz. Boy. Hey, you're welcome. Hey, And then, uh, I'll get to the coup de grace now. He released... Chronicles, Volume 1, which was billed as an autobiography by Bob Dylan. In his own words, uh, this was released in October. I remember when this came out, and I actually did read it, uh, but I don't remember any almost anything about it. I read it that year or maybe the next year. Uh, it started out when he was doing liner notes for his uh, for some reissues of albums. His early albums were being reissued. And then an album from 1970 called New Morning and Oh Mercy from 1989. And he just blew it out. He decided to actually write about those time periods of his life as if they were, you know, an autobiography. So everyone was first mad at him because he ignored the mid-60s altogether when he was most famous. Everyone wants to know what he was thinking, doing, saying, eating, you know, what his garbage looked like and such like that. But he wouldn't write about that. He was supposed to write two more volumes by now, but he did not. That's just <laughs> an whatever aside. Whatever you think he's going to do, he doesn't do that thing. <laughs> yes. Whatever it is. <laughs> just name something like, hey, I'm going to go eat a cheeseburger. He's not going to do that. <laughs> um, it came... And it might be out of spite to you, or it might be just because he just does whatever he wants to, and now we can predict what he's going to do. No, and then he But won't... it might be out of spite of you. It's really hard to say. Hey, who knows? He may not even know. The chief commander knows. Let's just let's just put it that way. The chief commander knows. The chief commander That's knows. <laughs> uh, so it came out to to pretty to pretty big fanfare. It was number two on the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah. It was nominated for a National Book Award Ooh. Uh, because it had a very intriguing and interesting writing style um, that seemed kind of. Uh, fresh or seemed kind of surprising for Dylan. I don't know why it would have been surprising since he's our, you know, a great writer and all that sort of thing. But he's never written a decent book. And he, he fully wrote this, right? There's no like ghostwriters in Well, now let, let 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 me get to that. He oh, okay. he all did right. he, he did fully write it. However, he lightly to highly fictionalized everything about his own life in the book. <laughs> And, okay, so that's number one, and I'll just read you. I'll read you a couple of quotes from a couple of his actual biographers. Uh, Clinton Halen, who is whose book I'm reading right now, um, says, "As far as I can tell, almost everything in the O Mercy section is a work of fiction." So one of the main 
po- parts of his autobiography. And keep in mind, this was this was on the like uh, nonfiction bestseller. Okay. Okay. And when it came out, it, everyone just was like, "Okay, well, this is what happened." Uh-huh. But not, you know, may, basically, he uh, some things didn't happen. Um, another of his biographers said, "This book is an act, but it's a zesty, nugget-filled read." <laughs> It's so zesty. It's a nugget-filled read. When I think of Bob Dylan, I think zesty. It's oh my gosh! Time. I just the first uh, word, the first adjective that comes to my brain. I knew you would love zesty nugget-filled. That, read. that nugget-filled. So nugget-filled. It's just filled with nugs, you know. Just so many nugs. All right. So Dylan himself said he had no collaborators, no editors. Um, no, nobody, nobody told him how to write this book. However, uh-huh. the very next year. It started to come out um, via, you know, some Google, some Google searches, and um, the work of uh-huh. one very uh, dogged blogger who was uh-huh. who started noticing that Dylan had appropriated some phrases, anecdotes, and descriptions from numerous authors. He found uh, direct citations, like literally, like sent full sentences at times, uh-huh. um, from Mezbez Roll, who I'd never heard of. Yeah, you know I don't know that one. Okay, Marcel Proust, I know him. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. Mark Twain, never heard of him. <laughs> uh-huh. Jack London, apparently Jack London was Bob's, like, muse. This guy put together 12 pages of quotes um, that could have come from Jack London books. Uh, a, quote, travel guide to New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the best one is, like, Japanese self-help books. What? Yes. He was kind of like using self-help language um, from these books. And all in all, there's a thousand different instances of him directly appropriating lines from other works. Okay? Okay. 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 All right, now. So, I, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm just like, keep going here. I'm going to save my questions for the end. All right, save your questions for the end. I also have a multiple choice question for you at the end. Okay, all right. Um... Dylan has always in his songwriting, not unlike many other folk artists and blues mm-hmm. artists and things like that, he is often, since the very start, and this is like a tradition, this is not necessarily something that was new when he did it at all, mm-hmm. um, appropriated lines, melodies, etc., you know, um, from other songs. Like, some of his mm-hmm. most famous songs are melodies from other songs that are really old. Like, he's, mm-hmm. a, he's a folklorist at his core. And so there could be an assumption that that's just what he did with his writing, except it kind of, it struck people a little bit different in this case. Mm-hmm. And there, of course, was, um, was an outrage. How did I put it before? Oh, steeped in controversy. Steeped in controversy. And nugget-filled, sweet nugget-filled. It was zesty. It was, zesty. It was <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. I mean, what controversies aren't zesty and nugget-filled, though? Really? <laughs> Oh, the boring ones. Oh, the really boring ones. Um, so Dylan all just seized on this, and it, it became a little bit bigger story than just the nerds who found out all these things. Um, also, his 2001 album, which is considered a classic as well. Uh, What's that? What's that called? Uh, oh, gosh. I always forget the name of it. I'm forgetting the name of it. Oh, Love and Theft. Mine? Oh, yeah. I see his face on the cover. His Vincent Price face. <laughs> Staring at me, <laughs> judging me, pretty appropriating my lines. Appropriating your life. <laughs> it's love and theft, and so 
that's the name of it is love and theft. And so uh-huh. um, you could you could sort of make a through line between that and what it's called. I mean, he loves this music, but he's thieving from it, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, he's never said. Um, for Dylan's part, here's what he said about it in a 2012 interview, which I believe is in Rolling Stones. It's an amazing interview, and he says some great things about other things that I will you know, bring up over the, the course of these podcasts. But here's what he said about this. He was asked about um, the controversy that he was facing with that and subsequent albums where it seemed like he was you know, borrowing other people's music pretty, pretty regularly. Uh, all those mother effers can rot in hell. Hold on, hold on. Oh, oh, oh he's oh he's not done. <laughs> so, well, sorry about so that. Yeah. All those mother effers can rot in hell. Period. Wussies and p word that rhymes with wussies complain about that stuff. It's an old thing. It's part of the tradition. It goes way back. That's what he said. Okay. About this contra- about the people that were accusing him of this. Uh-huh. You know, I don't like people that use the P word. I think that's a dumb word to use. Yussies yes. and P words. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so uh, do you have any questions before your multiple choice right, examination? Right. My questions are, number one, so did no like, a formal plagiarism charges came up or anything and any of this stuff? Well, I don't know. I mean, who, who would make formal plagiarism charges? I don't know. I mean, any if there's any of the authors who actually like you know are estates that control you know stuff like that. Well, that's a great question. I don't think so. No. Okay. And uh, number two was this controversy has come up other times, right? I mean, I just remember you telling me about his uh, his Nobel Prize speech. Yes. Oh, baby. Doing kind of the same thing. I mean, we'll get to that in <clears throat> 2016 or 2017, whatever year it is. But yes, and it came up. It came up from the very start with him with his music. Um, okay. Where he had to kind of explain, like, well, this is just the tradition. I just happen to be really good at it, you know. Okay. Sort of synthesizing these old things into a new thing okay. and making it fresh right. and new. Um, which, you know, coincidentally is what people thought about the book when it first came out. Mm-hmm. Um, if it had been written in a different time, I don't think anyone would have noticed. It's like you can go and these, do these Google line searches and right. you, can, you can find out if you're a plagiarist or not, you know, whether you're unwittingly a plagiarist or not. Right. So that's You're how this, if that book could come out ten years earlier, it probably would have blown over. Yeah, it could have been even more. You know, as it is, it's fairly well received. It just has a little bit of a stain on it. Okay. Okay. A zesty stain. It's a zesty nugget-filled stain. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you, Dylan, for that bewildering year. Yeah. Well, hold on. I have a multiple multiple choice question for you. Oh, okay. Okay. On. You have to you have to picture yourself. I'm you picturing myself. Picture yourself as a normal music fan. You can do <laughs> okay, that, right? Define, define normal music fan. Okay, like a person that really loves music and, um, you know, might even love classic rock a lot. You know, you're like a Led okay. Zeppelin fan. You're a Bowie fan. You're a... But are you obsessive enough to, like, start your own podcast about music? You are not. Like, what, what love? Okay, all right. You are not. Okay. okay. You're not You're yeah. not silly like us. Let's just okay. put it that yeah. way. Okay, um, you you are zesty, looking. <laughs> you're very zesty. You're looking zestily at this controversy, <laughs> and you only know uh, you only know what I've told you about it. You haven't read the book. You kay. haven't gone and cited all of these kay, things. Yeah. Okay, so you have four choices as to what you think that Dylan has done here. Uh, number one, he's a plagiarist, straight up. Number two. He's an unwitting autodidact, recalling everything he's ever read and seamlessly integrating sections into his writing, 
um, a thousand different times. So he is, uh, okay. he's a big reader, that, yeah. big song person. You know, yeah. he just can, he has a gift for that. Okay. Number yeah. three, this is my favorite one. I wish this were true. This is what the blogger thinks happened. Number three, he deliberately left a labyrinthine trail of meaningful clues in Chronicles that he hopes will keep researchers guessing for a hundred years. <laughs> so okay. the the title of the article that I read uh, was... It's the problem is, I'm hoping about researchers doing anything where it just doesn't like, let me quite write about what I know about Bob Dylan. Right. But this, uh, this blogger was like, is this... Is this Dylan's Da Vinci Code? Is this everything that we need to know about Dylan in this one master stroke? Okay, and then number four, he presented an experimental writing technique that is his coup de grace as a folk artist, synthesizing American archetypes and history into a towering Dylan-esque stew. <laughs> Can I just not pick any of them? Yeah, you have to pick one. I have to pick one? Yeah, it's multiple choice. I, mean, I-, I- it's a multiple choice with no right answer. Uh, uh, I'm going to go with number three. It is the one you said it wasn't it. I'm going to go with that one. That was the most ridiculous one. <laughs> it is ridiculous. Oh, uh, All right. Well, you're going to have to read it and keep yourself guessing for the next hundred years. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to read it, just so you know. That's fine. I don't think I will either. Um, <laughs> I got pretty interested in it. Um, again, while I was doing my research and then, you know, here we are doing the podcast. I, I would have probably read it before the podcast if I was going to. Yeah, it probably would have been a good idea. But we're you never know. We're going to be moving on after this again, so, you know. Yeah, moving on. All right, I'm going to let you move on to Bowie yeah, we're, in we're 2004. 2004 was a, a touring year. And it's a, it's a, we got a tragic tale ahead of us, Jake. Oh, no. Strap in and get, let's get, let's get a little serious here. Not yet. We get serious a little bit later. But just, just want you to know what's going on here. So I'm staying we're, silly. We're, you know, the, the context, of course, is that Bowie released his 26th album. I think 26th album. Oh. Reality in September of 2003. Oh, okay. And so we are in. You know, we're we're kind of like moving off of that. You know, and so Reality is a good, solid album. This is part of his uh, neoclassical rock period, which is. A dumb name, and I don't care. So, <laughs> um, be his second to last musical period. Getting in there, and we're getting towards you know, into this time period. Okay. Uh, you know, so he's still doing like doing all kinds of press over this, like this. But this point, he's pretty heavy when he does. You know, when he releases a new album, it's a big deal. Right. It, the album is very well received. You know, everybody loves it. It's not, you know, it's not classic Bowie. It's about his tenth album straight for somebody to say it's the best one since uh, since Scary Monsters oh, in nineteen eighty. For sure. This is just like a regular thing. They just, you know, they could just put it on the cover by that point. I didn't even know it came out, and I and I said Monsters. that. And uh, and so he's doing all this stuff. He's got a giant tour. He's doing interviews. I saw watching an interview of him with Ellen. Uh, this is some this is some idiot from Australia that has his own show. Apparently, had his own show at that time anyway. And Bowie just like he's charming and you know lovable. He's super healthy. Oh. Yeah, he's, dead, he's off of drugs for many years by this point. Um, he's quit alcohol by a few years. He even quit smoking. Quit wow. smoking in two thousand three because he had his daughter was born. His second child was born thirty years after his first child. In I'm pretty two thousand or two thousand one. His his, uh, his second his daughter was born. How, Alexandria. How old is he in this? He's. 50. Okay, in in 2004 he would be 57. 
Wow. Yeah, he's pretty old for his daughter. I didn't but know. It, I didn't know Iman was that much younger than her. Him. Iman's not that much younger than him. Oh. Iman was like fifty when she had her. What? Whoa. It's crazy. I don't know the whole like the whole story with this. I mean, I don't. I don't think she's adopted or anything. But I do not know that whole story. My understanding is that they had a daughter together. Okay. And Iman is younger, but not that much younger. I would say less than ten years younger. All right. I know it's crazy. Fair enough. Um. But it, because of her, he quit smoking because he, he was not going to smoke around her. So he'd smoke outside, and he's like nuts to this, and he quit smoking. <laughs> I hate smoking outside. So he's you know he's like he's clean, like the guy's like skin looks nice, he's all healthy, like he's got a personal trainer, he's working out a little bit, like he's not you know like six packs and stuff, but he's he's just looking good, you know. And um, and so he goes on the guy, he's doing these interviews and stuff. He's going on the shows, just you know, just like shiny and nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we got we got a little uh, pause at my household right now. Oh, do I need to pause the thing? Why don't you pause it, Jay? All right. Um, okay, I'll have to stop this here. All right. So this leads into his tour at the time because he's on tour through the first half of 2004. It is called a reality tour, mm. which you know, yeah, I know it's well, but it's it's a reality, which a- some people oh. think is really not just reality, but a reality. We're talking oh. about like I don't know what is reality, probably. Anyway, it's uh, it's a big deal. It's the biggest tour he ever did his entire life. What? What do you mean um, by that? Nine months long. Oh, nine months. So he started long. at I know wow. this is nothing by like Dylan's standards, you know, because since his tour is thirty years long instead of nine months, but. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Dylan was also like a good, or no, I'm sorry, Bowie was a good like husband and father and like really, he was really invested in that world at this, at this time. Like he really, he felt like he was not a good father to his first son the first few years. He was not. Because he was too, because he was too busy doing cocaine out on tour and who hey, knows what. Yeah. And so he really is like making an effort. He's just this clean, like average, like good guy trying to be a good guy. And he comes across as a good guy most of the time. Okay. Um, so the, the tour is nine months long. 112 shows is how many shows actually ended up going. Uh, they were they rehearsed and they performed at some point in their fifty nine different songs. Wow! Like so, they didn't do it really strict. And Bowie's pretty known; like he usually has a pretty strict, like like schedule, like like uh, plan for his tours. You know, he plays the songs pretty much in the same order, and things will change a little bit, but not a lot. Okay. They had fifty nine songs locked up, ready to go. Locked and so loaded. each show shows would change dramatically between nights. Um, the longest concerts had 35 songs and were almost three hours long. Ooh, daddy. I know. So the longest one, I think, was in Dublin, which was recorded for a video and for a live album, mm. which we'll talk about a little bit later. Okay. Uh, now, this is not like things weren't perfect here. We had a few cancellations there. He got laryngitis and canceled a couple shows. Yeah, he got influenza and had to cancel a week worth of shows. Most of those were rescheduled. One of them in Australia, uh, they had some local lighting guy who was helping them set things up. Uh-oh. The crowd was already there and, like, you know, doing stuff. The guy fell oh, no. from, like, on top of the thing and died, like, oh. right in front of the audience. Oh. Which is kind of, yeah. I hate when that kind happens. Of, I, yeah, that kind of stuff's just kind of terrible. So that show was canceled. Uh, at one notable show, he got hit in the eye by a lollipop. <laughs> Bummer. You just kind of wonder, like, what guy is, like, paying, you know, 200 bucks or something for right at the front seats, close enough to hurl a lollipop, and then decides, hey, dudes, I know I just spent hundreds of dollars in the seat, I'm going to throw this sucker at David Bowie. <laughs> and he hit him in the eye. Now, Bowie, like class act, just thinking on his feet, his response was, uh, it, 
I'm, I don't know it was something like uh, I'm glad it wasn't my good one at least it was my bad eye oh wow it just kept going zippy that's zesty it was zesty it was yeah it was so zesty <laughs> uh, but we you know, we always got to talk about his look and feel I'm going to get early into the year and hair because I'm going to build oh. up into this alright year and hair so give me a hand with hair long beautiful hair so the, the year and hair for Bowie, it's kind of like, if you remember Bon Jovi's strange, like, 2000-era comeback? Yeah, I do. Do you remember that? It just was gigantic. Like, just, yeah. just this huge, huge thing. And he was sporting this rather unique, pretty obnoxious hairstyle. It was kind of highlighty. Yep. And kind of asymmetrical and kind of, like, long enough to go in his eyes, short Spiky back. Spiky, kind of. Spiky kinda. or something in the back. And uh, a bunch of different kind of annoying-looking people showing on this this hairstyle i'm thinking of the goo goo dolls were the first one that popped oh, up oh for brain. sure yep heard yeah that. heard that so bowie's kind of in that in that neighborhood <laughs> like three or four years later which is even you know even worse Ooh. uh so it's long it's kind of getting down in his eyes a little bit but artfully not you know there's obviously some kind of product there to stop it from getting his eyes but it doesn't look like this you know it's not like wet looking or anything you know we gotta keep this going uh so I'm gonna say the Bowie year in here, it's still for him pretty good, you know. Okay. <laughs> probably probably a three and a half. Oh, 3. 5. Man. I'll give it a three point five. A three point five. Anyway, going along with this, All right. you know, he's ditched a lot of his really elaborate costumes and stuff, which is I don't know, Bowie just does whatever he wants to on that. And so he's wearing like, you know, sleeveless t shirts and like mm. uh tight pants and you know and he's got the body to figure to, to pull it off at the time because he's actually healthy and stuff not dying of he's just glowing he's just glowing he's looking good he looks like you know that whoever in your group of friends the dad that all the girls kind of likes that's David Bowie at the time okay yeah I'm disturbed by so your he, analogy but yes go <laughs> uh okay I'm, I'm okay with that I'm right with that he's <laughs> he, he, he's still like he, he's artfully casual you know Sure. Like he's wearing, you know, I think he had scarves and stuff at different points, you know, and like jackets that look like distressed, but you can tell that somebody distressed them on purpose. That kind of look, you know, is going on. Yeah. Cool he's dad. tennis shoes, but nice tennis shoes, you know. He's just cool dad Bowie. Cool dad Bowie. And as the, the tour goes on, he kind of lets himself go. Uh-oh. And by the time we get into, you know, like May, June, which are towards the end of the tour, he's just just coming out in a hoodie and that's it <laughs> like he doesn't even care his hair is getting shaggy in the back oh no not so asymmetrical anymore uh and just yeah his 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 interviews his interview with ellen he's just wearing just wearing a hoodie he just doesn't roll, even care it says, it says like i love new york or something it says new york on it something kind of obnoxious which i mean he lived in new york for like 20 years by the time he should know better than to wear it uh although the <laughs> annoying australian show uh he was wearing a like silver like shiny silver suit so he was he was bringing it up a little bit for that um and then we get into like but these shows a bit like the big shows are really well received shows he's not afraid of the hits for a while there he was like he spent a good 10 years like not playing any of the classic hits yeah. he retired on the 1990 he was like nope Nope, moving forward, not going to do all these big hits anymore. Yeah, yeah. We're going in. He still played older songs, but lesser known older songs. So he brings back a bunch of the hits for this show. He's got a really tight live band. they got a big sound. He's confident. He's athletic. He looks healthy. He looks like he's enjoying being out there. All he's right. just like having a grand old time. Killing it. And uh, and this is the time where we slow things down a little bit, Jake. Uh-oh. So let's just put on some soft music in the background and let's embrace ourselves. Because on June 23rd, he's in Prague. 
Yeah, he's got about three weeks, a month left worth of shows. Still feeling just great, just going with things. Very positive looking. And uh, and he starts getting a little sweaty on stage and start okay. getting things like start getting a little not right. You could tell people in the audience are, are looking up and going like, wait, what's happening up there? He's feeling this pain. It's really strong pain. And he, he eventually just has to go. Like, he, he, he rolls through things like his band has talked about the times where he was, you know, so sick he was throwing up. They just put a bucket on the side of the stage, like sprint <laughs> off there and throw up and come back on. But this is not this. This is like he realizes something's going on. Something's not right. He gets. He, he goes off of stage. Goes back on stage to look at things. He thinks he's. He thinks he's got a, like a, a pinched nerve or something in his shoulder because it's yeah. really painful right in there. Oh, no. The band, while he's out, they play one of his instrumentals and they play another song with one of the band is singing instead. Um, he comes back on. He's you know not feeling great. He gets a stool, sits down, plays a few more songs, plays a couple more songs, and then uh, and he just, it's obvious he can't. He can't do this. He's got to keep. He's got to get out of here. And so he cancels, and the show ends early after, you know, like an hour, hour and a half. Um, he goes off stage. He's, you know, he's done. He's like, he's really feeling it, really hurting. Okay. Two days later, he feels he's good enough. He does another show and does the entire show. But again, like, and, and you, know, you wouldn't notice much from seeing it. You can tell, like, things look a little strained when you're looking for it because you can find bootlegs of both of these shows or pieces of both these shows. All anyway. right. And uh, and afterwards, after that second show, this would be uh, June twenty fifth, two thousand four, in Hamburg. Mm-hmm. Uh, immediately after the show, he collapses. Oh, Can't no. even stand up. They rush him to a hospital. Turns out, on the twenty third, he had had a heart attack in the middle of the show, and did not do anything about it. Apparently, or not enough anyway. Yeah. Uh, so he gets sent into immediate, immediate uh, emergency surgery, has angioplasty, all that business for blocked artery. Uh, that ends up being the last full concert he ever does in his entire life. Whoa. 2004 is notable. That's the last full concert he ever did. The last full concert. He does do, he pops up, and we'll get into him in other years. He pops up with a couple, like, two or three song performances, but not a full concert. June 25th, 2004 is the last full concert he ever does. Disappointing for me, of course, because it's two years before I become a fan of David Bowie. Ooh. Yeah, I that's, know. That's the real tragedy here. I Isn't that really a tragedy I've never seen and I never will see David Bowie live? Well, can I tell you something life. Can I tell you something heartening about specifically about the tour? Okay, yeah, You go. mentioned that Bowie played that year 112 shows. Yeah. Uh, guess how many Dylan played? <laughs> I don't know, more than that? No. Just one less, Charlie. 111. Your man beat Dylan that one year. Yeah, the thing is that Jake, it's shot. 112 shows for the tour, half of which oh. happened in 2003. Whoa! Dylan, well, Dylan okay. Still pulled it off. It's okay. It's all right. I just all wanted right. to give you a little buck up there, pal. It's just a little buck up there. I'm just, you know, like I, w- I just want us to all be nice and somber and serious about Dave Boy's heart attack. Uh, so I'm feeling very somber. This leads it. us into he like takes the next year off. He doesn't do anything for the next year. Yeah, good. Call. He hangs out with his kid. Like he comes kind of like a stay-at-home dad, which is something he really seems to enjoy. And this, unwittingly, uh, very surprisingly, ends up starting a, like, ten-year of nothing. Ten-year or a very little. Wow. He does not release another album for, until 2013. Yep. He never tours again. Wow. He does, like, four or five, you know, like, performances where he does no more than three songs at a time. And, uh, and this is kind of it. Wow. He just does not do a lot for a oh. while. He takes it easy. A significant milestone 
on milestones. This is gonna be a big deal. So I, this period is gonna come up when we ever do other shows in this period because there's just not a lot to talk about. Yeah, right. You know, and everybody thinks he's dying the whole time, especially yes. if the heart attack news comes out. Like, a Flaming Lips wrote a song called "Is David Bowie Dying?" Yeah, it's a good song, by the way. <laughs> uh, and everybody's just wondering what's going on. He's he's fine. You know, it's it's a relatively minor heart attack. He recovers because he is really healthy. He's in good shape and everything at the time and taking care of himself. But uh, we just have this really quiet period. Wow. That, and we'll get into it more, but it manages at that point in his career to make Bowie completely mysterious again. Yes. Because nobody knows what the heck's going on with him. Yes. He doesn't do interviews for several years. Yes. He doesn't do any, any interviews at all for the last, I don't know how many years. I don't know when his last interview was. It was after this, but it wasn't. And so he comes back in 2013 with the next day, and nobody knows what the heck's going on. He refuses to tour, refuses to do any interviews whatsoever for that and his last album, Black Star. You know, all of this leads in there. And that's the amazing thing is at this point, you know, when he's been on the public stage for 40 years, he suddenly uh, becomes completely mysterious and unknowable, though, again. Mm-hmm. So, uh, nice boy. I propose that we call, I, I, I've come up with an annoying term to use for this 10 year period because it's going to come up again. All right. I propose we call it the day vacation. <laughs> that is annoying. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> the day vacation. The Davecation. He took a Davecation. He's taking. He just took a ten-year Davecation. All right, that's fine. The Davecation. The Davecation. So the only other noble thing that happens this year in that last six months where he does not do anything is a, a live version of the show from Dublin. Uh, I don't think I wrote down the date of it, but it was from 2013, is when it was recorded. Okay. Um, is released as a video. It's not, there's a live album of it is released, I believe, in 2010. Okay. So that will come up in points later on. But the, the video did come out in 2004. Got it. So that will come down to points there. Okay. And that's all I got. Wow. You know, all right. Well, that's that's pretty concise. Quieter year. Um, I just have a quick story before we do our points uh, okay. that have to do that has to do with David Bowie. I went uh, on vacation to Seattle last week, and yeah. I went to the Museum of Popular Culture. Uh, which was pretty sweet. It's the I don't yeah. know if I don't know if you know it by sight. It's that crazy building that has all the curved like aluminum all over it. It looks like a big Is it a Frank art- Gehry building. I don't know if it's a Frank Gehry. Okay, it probably came up in my. That sounds really familiar. Yeah, it was I, built I, recently. For, for our listeners, I used to be an art teacher, so I studied like gotten into some architecture and stuff in classes and things. Yes. And I, I I rem- I'm sure it sounds really familiar. Anyway, keep going. I think it was built about ten years ago, and it was built primarily at the time, if I remember right, um, to be a place where like a Jimi Hendrix museum would be. And he's he's okay. he's still in there, but it it turned into a popular culture museum. So they okay. had like sci-fi stuff and Star Trek, but they also had music stuff. Like there was a there was a Nirvana exhibit, and there was a Jimi Hendrix exhibit, um, but. I was going in there, and I had the little brochure. Uh-huh. I picked up a brochure, and in it, one of the exhibits was supposed to be about photographs of David Bowie yeah. by a photographer named Mick Rock. Mick Rock? Mick Rock, baby. I know Mick Rock. I didn't know it was in Seattle. Well, but actually, well, well, here's the bummer before I start laughing about Mick Rock oh. taking pictures of David Bowie. It wasn't there anymore. It was just in the brochure. Oh. I was That's so good. pumped to take pictures and make fun of you that I got to see this. <laughs> but, I can mean... We, can we mention how, like, that just sounds like a made-up name, like... Mick like Rock! You, were, you know, if we're making some 
movie, not very good movie about early seventies British rock. Yeah. You have a character. Yeah. And the name would be oh, guys. Let's just call him, let's call him Mick Rock. Hey, you know what would be a cool uh, cool rock and roll hey, photographer? You know, you know what we cool. call him? Mick Rock. Let's call him Mick Rock. What's well, his name? Mick Rock. It'd be a good character name. Everyone else would be like, uh, yeah, oh, come no, on, it's man. Not a good name. No one's going to buy that. No, no one's going to buy it. It needs to be Nigel. Name him no, Nigel. Let's call him no- Nigel Rock. Nigel Rock. <laughs> no, no, get out of here. Yeah, <laughs> I just imagine Bowie meeting this guy, and he's like, hey, man, what's your name? And this guy's like, oh, I'm Mick Rock. And he's like, take my picture, man, forever. Something. <laughs> Rock was a, a regular photographer. I, that's what I gather. So I'm sorry that I didn't get to see that, but I had to mention it. Uh, well, thanks for the mention. I appreciate and, you uh, thinking about me constantly. Are, I do not think about you constantly. <laughs> uh, uh, are, you, are you sure about that, Jay? Um, I also are want to. Sure? She, she's going to be listening to this one day. My mother, our mother, took us there. Yeah. She wanted me to mention that during the Jimi Hendrix uh, exhibit, there were there was a little tenuous thread connecting both David Bowie and Bob Dylan to Jimi Hendrix okay. in that exhibit. One was that, of course, uh, Hendrix covered All Along the Watchtower extremely famously. Yeah, yeah very famously, yep. Just one of the to best thunder, covers. To thunder success, yep. To thunder success. Um, he was thinking of, you know, before he died, he was thinking of doing some other covers of some David Bowie, or excuse me, Bob Dylan songs from that same album, which is like okay. this hushed folk kind of a allegorical thing. Okay, so that was there. On the next... On the next little uh, uh, exhibit piece was the original soundboard from the Electric Ladyland Studios that okay. Jimi Hendrix built in New York right. City. Uh, right. David Bowie recorded there. Did it say what? I can't even remember. No, it just said, artists such as David Bowie, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think he recorded fame there. That could be. It's a With very well-respected studio. I could be studio. wrong about that. That's my first thought. I could definitely be wrong about that. Don't call me. All right. You know what, Jake? Enough what? bantering about our private lives. we got to get some points down because I really do not know who's going to win this one. Uh, I don't know. I think I do, but we're going to do it anyway. Well, I think I do, too. But we're going to do it anyway. We're doing it anyway. Do it. All right. Go. Okay. Um, for his bootleg series, Volume 6, Bob Dylan Live, 1964, one of his probably ten most famous concerts. It was at the New York Philharmonic Hall. It was the absolute pinnacle of his early career. And there were shades of him moving forward and pissing everyone off. But at the time, he was pretty well universally beloved. It was the very first public performance of one of his all-time great songs, It's All Right, Ma, I'm Only Bleeding. No one had heard a word of this thing before. It's like this 10-minute, just amazing song. And he just ripped it off. And everyone, you know, this is obviously pre-internet, pre Great. bootlegs. I mean, there were bootlegs of this famously afterwards, but he just kind of had the audience in the palm of his hand. It's really great to listen to. Um, some of his last performances with Joan Baez. Uh, he was clearly like going to dump her real soon. I was going to say, were they still an item at the time? Oh yeah, very much. They were like the king and queen of folk music right. at this time. Um, but you know, in retrospect, he's definitely he's definitely going to move on and go electric like real soon. Um, so it's a great document. Judith! Judith! Sorry, that just that just slipped out there. Man. 
Uh, so I'm giving it a plus two out of a possible plus three for these archival releases. Yeah. All right. Uh, for those at home, once again, yeah, we have an elaborate, me. confusing system, point system that only we understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, the good thing, the thing to really realize is that we allow for negative points, really bad stuff. That's so right. If somebody releases bad stuff, it actually counts against them. That's right. It's two, two for this, pretty good, pretty solid. That's right. But I also okay, want, go. I want everyone to know that we take this points very seriously. <laughs> we do, even if no one else understands except for us. And sometimes not even us. And I think maybe during our fifth episode or this is our fifth episode our sixth episode or our tenth we got to give a points update this is, I don't know. points I don't update like how many yeah you know total who, or like how many how many wins per both. year what, you know, what you, both we just need to give okay. a little otherwise there's no context for this we're just okay we're All shouting right. into the abyss which we are anyway sounds good yeah oh yeah we're there oh uh, we're in the abyss baby um and he wrote an autobiography that wasn't really an autobiography but you know, took America by storm and uh-huh. with a controversial wellspring of talking points. Uh, so I give that a plus one. And yeah. his tour, which uh, was part of the never-ending tour, uh, was apparently a good year. He played 111 shows. He had Willie Nelson along with him. <laughs> I saw him on that tour. Not that that means anything. But uh, when I re-listened to the show that I saw that I didn't remember, it uh, sounded uh-huh. pretty darn good. He sounded engaged. So I'm going to give that a plus one for a total of a plus four for Bobby D. All right. So coming in in second place is Bowie, who... <laughs> two out of two. Had, he, had, he had a tour. He's got a solid, you know, good, sewer, well-received. He's healthy, looking good, all over the stage, lots of good songs. Every yeah. one on this tour clearly gets, clearly gets a one for uh, for his tour. For sure. Uh, he also released a video version of the of the show, the Dublin show from like October of the previous year. Yeah, was released late in two thousand four. Um, it's a solid, interesting. Like it's a good video. It's good. Okay. It's good to watch. It's like good to see him experience him. He gets a point for that as well. All right. He also released two singles oh, in, uh, in two thousand four. Because <laughs> you know you can't go either. Well, and it, coming off, it's still coming off of reality, which was released late in two thousand three. Also, so you know, like one of them is just uh, it's a second single. There's only two singles after reality. So the second one is Never Get Old. Oh, uh-oh. Which I don't actually like. Okay. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> and, and most people kind of like this song. I just I just don't. It just kind of bugs me. All right. And I think probably Bowie's being ironic or something in, like, talking about these ways of the never get old and never any money, never never going to be enough drugs, never going to be enough sex. Mm. And, it, and it just rubs me the wrong way. Right. And so more personal preference and everything, I'm giving it a negative 0.5. Whoa, a negative? I just don't like, I don't like the song. I just yeah. don't like it, Jake. I can't, I don't know. It's not that bad of a song, but I just don't like it. Okay. Fair and our, uh, our, our other single then is a little bit of a curiosity. It's a, uh, it's a mashup. Cool. <laughs> Great. That's a good way to end because you just know that Bowie could not stay away from mashups. Oh, he was a mashup. Junkie. You can't, like, how could he have possibly resisted mashups in 2004? It sounds right up his alley. Right up his alley. Oh, absolutely. I'm kind of, like, I've always been a little confused he didn't really get into sampling at some point. He's yeah. got a little bit of sampling in some of his 90s electronic albums, but I just can't, I'm a little surprised he never didn't just dive into that in a bigger way at some point. Anyway, what's interesting about this mashup in particular is because it's a mashup of two different Bowie songs. <laughs> Okay. Bowie did not actually do the, the mashup. Some like random fan of his on Bowie.net did. I don't know what the connection is. And I couldn't figure out how it all went together. So anyway, one of the two songs is the previously mentioned Never Get Old, which I don't really like. <laughs> Great. The other one is Rebel Rebel. Oh, wow. Like. 
Oh, yeah, the uh, you know, 1974 classic song, one of his biggest songs yep. of all time. Of course. Um, the results are solid, but not like amazing. All right. But I, it's, they're, they're fully competent, decent. It's enough for me to give it a zero. All right. I'm not like loving this thing, but I feel like it brings up Never Old a little bit, which again is a fine song that I just don't particularly like personally. I okay. don't care. <laughs> do <laughs> it. my points. I can do whatever I want. Absolutely. Take so, them down. We end up with a 1.5 for 2004. A 1.5 coming in a Giving solid. The victory coming in a solid second. Dirty rat two Dylan, out of two. Probably stole all of the words from his autobiography. From <laughs> he may have. <laughs> He's never written an original word, and we'll find that out someday. <laughs> like it'll be like, oh, yeah, I think Dylan used the word "the" in a particular way that somebody else had used the word "the" before. Pretty sure. Uh huh. Clearly, clearly. Clearly. He did not invent the word the. Uh, yeah, Dylan had kind of like, you know, kind of a good year, all in all. He did, yeah. He was in the was, middle. You know, we, we usually have a pretty good guess as to who's probably going to win. Yeah. And sometimes it's surprising. In 97, Bowie almost pulled it off. I know, I couldn't believe that. It was a surprise to that. both of us. Yeah. Because um, of his eight singles. <laughs> but, uh. His endless parade he did, of he singles. Did. Um, this one I really had not the slightest idea who was going to Me win. neither. And Go I, ahead. And until, Which is a little exciting. It's kind of fun. Until I started doing the research, I didn't know you know half of this stuff that happened. So it was yeah. a good year to research. It was fun. Yeah. All right, what are we doing next so, time? Um, next up, we're, I think the plan was 1989. Yeah, baby. 1989. 1989. Was a steaming pile. Uh, I don't know. Dylan's going to have a decent year. Because he had a minor comeback album, uh, Oh Mercy. That's his only decent album between 1976 and 1997. Think about that. (laughs) Well, Bowie started a band. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Called Tin Machine. The absolute classic lineup. It was like a kind of like hard rock grunge band of sorts. Chaz, I just want you to know you're in danger of doing the entire podcast for next time. Let's just just stop right here. Yeah, okay, I'm going to stop there. Okay, we don't always have go. a lot to talk about. Yeah, so spike up your hair and put on a leather jacket for the next show. 1989, oh, we'll be coming at you. <laughs> Boom house. Boom house. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is Charlie, and I love Bowie. And this is Jake, and I love Dylan. Bye now.